I am definitely a director's AD. I don't fuck around. I mean, I say it honestly. I'm not into blowing money. I'm into saving money, into putting it on the screen and doing whatever it takes to, to make the best picture possible. But it, it's an amazing adventure. Hey everyone, welcome to Call Sheet, a podcast about film production and the boots on the ground work of below the line crew. If you work in physical production in any department, this show is for you. Thanks so much for joining us. What's up, folks? I'm excited to be back with you. Once again, we are your hosts, Bryce Sirier and Kiku Terasaki. Hello, Kiku. Hey, Bryce. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about first ADing, how to organize prep, communicate effectively during production to execute the director's vision, and in an overall sense, how to strive for excellence in your work and relationships. And for that, we get to speak with a master first AD, and I can't wait to hear his stories and experiences collaborating with the biggest and the best in Hollywood. So David Webb is an anomaly as a first AD. Assistant directors usually build their careers going from project to project, often in the same arena, big action pictures, star vehicles, or working exclusively with one director. But David charted a completely unique path for himself, working on the best with some of the best. The Irishman, Joker, Argo, Into the Wild, Good Night and Good Luck, The Sweet Hereafter, with Martin Scorsese, Gus Van Sant, Adam McGoyan, several actor-directors, Sean Penn, George Clooney, Ben Affleck. David's most recent director was Spike Lee. And for most of these directors, he's AD'd multiple times. They keep asking him back. Okay, so I get it. He can handle giant budgets, tiny budgets. Giant stars, period spectacle and character study, you name it. And he's selective. All of these movies are about something. Politics, history, characters under pressure. Joker is definitely not a superhero flick. But what is it that he does so well that he keeps getting asked back? Today we get to find out how he sees it. Welcome to the show, David. That's a really nice introduction. Happy to have you with us, David. So my first question is, how would you get into the business why ADing? Well, my degree is in political science and journalism, and I had a job ready right out of school uh, to be a sportscaster, like a cub reporter at CTV in Timmins, Ontario, way up north. And I wanted to be a war correspondent. That was my whole thing. I, I wanted to go up, get my foot in the door that way, and then really try to get into a, a overseas kind of postings. And I just, one day I covered for a woman I had met. She was an actress, but she was being a receptionist at this film company. And so on a Saturday, I covered for her. I was supposed to answer one call. Uh, It was for this guy, Robert Lantos. And so, you know, I answered the call and then he was like, what the heck, who are you? What are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just, uh, this is interesting film industry. I saw Taxi Driver, I loved it. And Raging Bull, amazing films. Um, And he goes, wow, so... What are you doing? I said, well, I'm starting this job in two months. Up in Timmins, he goes, what? What are you, insane? Forget it. Why don't you come work with me? So I'm like, okay, I will. So I immediately started on Monday as like this office PA and then hit set. And then when I met the guys on set, the first AD, this guy, Tony Lucibello, said, hey, forget the office. Why don't you come and hang out on set? And so I was on a set in Montreal. And I got a call. It was the weirdest thing. I guess journalists know how to track people down. They said, there's a phone call for you on the house phone at this loft. And I'm, you know, pre-cell phones. 
So I'm like, oh, and I pick it up and I go, all right, guess what? We've moved up the date. You got to report to Timmons on Monday. And I looked around the set and I went, you know what? I'm going to pass, which was like a big deal passing on like an actual in to a big network. But I knew then that I was hooked and that I loved the set and that I just loved adventure and I could see it, you know? So then basically I started doing that. I did a few films uh, with them and then I met Adam McGoyan and uh, we just got along so famously. He was another political science, international relations graduate from University of Toronto. So I started making films with him as his AD. You know, we did all those films like Family Viewing, The Adjuster, Exotica, Sweet Hereafter. Like Sweet Hereafter was the first sort of, like it was a bit, this big hit that happened. And then I was like, okay, nominated for Academy Award. Let's go, let's move to Hollywood. And he was like, no, no, I'm going to stay in Canada. I was like, no, it's our chance, man. Bigger canvas. I was always about a bigger canvas. You know, I thought like the Quentin Tarantino, Lawrence Bender sort of like partnership, but it just, you know, he wasn't, he didn't want to move. He was like, no, I got my thing going here, you know. And, um, and so I moved by myself. Hello, Hollywood. Through that, I met Gus Van Sant, and he loved all the films I'd done. And once I got my foot in the studio door, you know, Norman Jewison was able to hire me on a really big Warner Brothers picture. And there I was, like I had basically done one studio film and a bunch of independent films. And now all of a sudden doing a, an A-list Norman film. You know, so it's all, the business really does work with how good you are, how good of a job you do, and your relationships. And then mostly people are super nice. Like, they want not just to help you, but they want to help their friends, if that makes sense. I think that's really important. Um, so what about YADing? Spike Lee said, you get shit done. How do you see what he means by that? What do you see your job as? Well, the thing with Spike, he's uh, super high energy and incredibly dedicated. So there's no way you're going to beat him to the set. Say sunrise is 7 a.m., he wants everybody there at 5 a.m. I mean, he is like ready to go. So, you know, I did a film with him in Thailand and Vietnam called The Five Bloods. And again, that's a, you were quite correct in saying that, you know, everything I've done has always been a social message of some sort, mostly political. And this, this film, even though it's a rollicking Vietnam era war story, it's super political about uh, black empowerment, about the black experience in Vietnam. Uh, it's incredible. So. The thing with Spike, you know, it was our first time working together and I got shit done. So if we were going to, he wanted to shoot at 7 a.m., guess what? Viet Cong, U.S. soldiers, everybody, weapons, helicopters, everything was there, ready to go. And it would be like, okay, ready when you are. Tom Siegel was a really good friend of mine who shot the film uh, DP. And so we were like, oh, this is great. So Spike is arriving at like 5 a.m. We're not even shooting until whatever time, you know. So Tom and I would start arriving at like 4.30. And then Spike would be like, what? So we'd always be like, oh, hey, Spike, good morning. You know, some, out in some remote part of Vietnam or, you know, in the jungle or up on a mountain. And so the next day he would come at like 4.45 and we'd be there 4.15. Hey, Spike, what's going on? And so finally he's like, all right, <laughs> we can stop this game. And we all started coming at a more reasonable hour or whatever. But, you know, he just loved the fact that we were there. We'd be 
you know, especially when Tom and I work together, we're just like ready to go. So Spike loved it. I love Spike too. He's, he's incredible. I love it. Would you say that's one of your primary functions as the first AD to set up each shot on behalf of the director? Yeah. Getting everything ready, marshalling all the troops and, you know, especially a big action film like that. We set the whole thing up, you know, at his behest and that his, with his vision in mind. But, you know, and that's one thing I've been really lucky with. The one thing in common with every director that I've worked with on multiple occasions is they get shit done. They have a plan like Martin Scorsese where the blueprint is there. It's all coming from this amazing, massive intelligence. There's no reason that a DP and the AD can't set his stuff up and execute what he wants. And when you work with people multiple times, you really end up knowing what they want, you know, kind of how to, how to set up, and, and it's pretty great. So you said about vinyl that you and Rodrigo sat down with Martin Scorsese and storyboarded the whole thing. So he's got a unique process and we've done it on all the films I've been involved in. So we did it on Irishman, Silence, Vinyl. What we do is he, he goes through his script. He goes into isolation for two or three weeks while we're in prep. And he goes through the whole script line by line and he makes what we call an annotated script. And then that is the blueprint of how the film will go. It's not just like per scene, like master shot, counter coverage, insert. It's like literally line by line. And so we sit with him after he's done that, after he's come out of isolation. It's the first AD, the DP, his producer, Emma Koskoff, and that is it. That's the group that really preps the film. Usually it takes us three weeks two or three hours a day, and we sit and we go through his whole annotated script, and then Rodrigo and I create a shot list based on those meetings. So then Rodrigo and I will leave and we'll say, okay, you know, this is where he circled insert, this is, you know, where we're gonna try to do like some kind of crane shot, this is gonna be a low angle, whatever. And so we have basically a blueprint for the film. Marty's not slavish to it, but it's really an important document. So now I'm able to take that and every night after those meetings, I then do a summary of what we learned. So say on one day, we do scene one to 15. I give all the art department notes, technical notes, whether we're going to need cranes or props or, you know, how many backgrounds, everything. We're gathering all that information up. What about during production? How does that prep continue and evolve through each day of shooting? So every night with Marty, Rodrigo and I and Emma Koskoff, the producer, we go at wrap into his trailer and we sit and we put out plans, the script, everything for the next day's scenes. And we review the whole thing and we decide on our first shot. You know, we have photographs of the location, And so Rodrigo and I are able to arrive and set everything up technically so that when he comes in, he can block with his actors and then we're ready to rock. Thing is, you know, when you have a film like The Irishman, you've got 400 scenes, you know, 200 sets. Like, it's massive undertaking. You know, it's a 108-day shoot. It's 40 days of second unit. It's 10 insert days. It's like 150 speaking parts. You know, there's seven, 8,000 extras. Awesome. How do you get your brain around it? No, it's like advanced filmmaking and it's, but it's professionals doing their thing, you know? And I mean, I'm just lucky that 
Marty liked the films that I had done because that's how he, if he makes a change, he does it quality of work. He looks, sees what you've done, meets you, meets you again, make sure it's going to be comfortable. Then he says, yes. And then if you get along, you're in for, you know, for life. Sometimes he'll say like, oh, this is my assistant director. But he goes, but you know what? He's kind of like, like my co-director or co-producer. It's, uh, it transcends the usual kind of relationship. So we're really close at this point. We went through silence. If you can go through survive silence, you're going to be together forever. You know, and for him, that's not only his favorite film experience, but, you know, the film he likes the best of anything he's ever done. So we're just super tight, you know? And I mean, one of the themes that I've said about your work in particular is that I see that you are a creative collaborator. Any great AD has to like understand the vision of the script and director and the DP and like bring them all together in a way that has emotional impact. Yeah, no, it's collaborative. It's absolutely collaborative. And, you know, you look at the Irishman, you look at all the scenes in silence. I don't know who else is doing that, making like, like in the Irishman, all that background all those rallies and everything, that's us, that's the ADs. It's Ryan Howard and Trevor Travaris, my second ADs that are so amazing at doing background, like incredible. And remember, they're liaising with costumes, hair, makeup, and everybody from way back in prep, you know, fulfilling types, you know, casting, all of that stuff. It's all, it's all coming out of the AD department. When you watch that film, that atmosphere, that's like, it's not just talking heads, it's big scenes. That's us. And Marty absolutely just sits and chuckles at all the stuff we're doing. You know, he just loves it. Yeah, how do you work with them? How do you build your team? What are you looking for? You know, it's good quality people. It's amazing. You know, I've got like, like these people could do anything, but they're all sort of dedicated filmmakers and that's their life. And, you know, and I know on a Marty picture, you're going to get you know, your sort of pick, but they're all people that have been with me for, you know, they're on Joker, Irishman, some of them on Silence, Vinyl, you know, they're with me a lot, so it's, it's good. So talk more, please, about how you evolve prep and move into leading all the departments and getting ready to do battle. Obviously, like, so here's the thing. First AD goes in and breaks down the script, is with the director every day. We do all the location scouting. We're liaisoning with costumes, hair, makeup, props, art department, you know, production designer, uh, art director, massively important, special effects, special effects makeup, stunts, all of it. So we're really getting the whole plan together. And so one of the big aspects of the job is basically communicating to the crew what the film is, because how on earth would they know otherwise? You have meetings and everything, and you, you make those meetings happen, but there's a lot of informal communication, and you know our office ends up being a constant stream of people coming in. Now, if you take a film like Joker, it's basically the Irishman's crew. So, you know, Marty had said, hey, listen, you know, you should do this film, Joker, and I'm like, oh. And said, you know, I don't really do comic book movies. You know, it's kind of not in my, my ballpark. And so he goes, no, I'm going to executive produce it. And uh, Emma's going to do it. And, um, you know, so you guys should do it. And, and then I said, well, who's directing? Todd Phillips. I was like, oh, my God. Todd and I have been trying to work together since Hangover. So finally, it was able to happen. 
So when Emma and I went over, we brought, we wrapped Marty's film December 15th. We brought the whole Irishman crew. So that's one thing when we watched Joker, 80% of the crew was straight from the Irishman. It is the best crew in New York City. One of the probably best crews in, in the world. So, so it was great for Todd. He had like a unbelievable functioning, communicating army. So Todd Phillips wanted to basically mimic prep the way Marty does prep, where he wanted to go through the script and do an annotated script. And so he and the DP and I, Larry Sher, we sat and we did the script, the whole thing. And then I'm able to generate my Martin Scorsese lists. And, you know, and so all of a sudden the crew, they're able to function at a really high level because guess what? They know what's going on. You know, and so what you get is you get a really, I think, technically competent film. You look at it, it's like really locked in. It's got an incredible vision. And Todd Phillips, unbelievably smart, dedicated, driven. It's because they're able to be clear, I'm able to translate it, and we're able to feed the crew. So then we then went one step further. And so every Saturday, uh, Larry and Todd and I would meet and we would have brunch, and then we would sit for two hours, and we would review every single scene of the next week. And we didn't skip over anything, everything. We would do that, then I would go back, make a whole list of all the notes, all the changes, and then I would email that to all heads of departments. So guess what? These cats on Saturday night are getting marching orders for the whole next week. But that was Todd's idea to sort of expand what we had always done with Marty. You know, we're getting first shots really super quick for a big film. I mean, they're happening fast. And then by lunch, you've basically broken the back of the scene or of your day. And it's just so much more efficient as opposed to people like, oh, you know, what's going on? Or just, you know, what, things I don't know about because I don't work with directors that don't have their shit together. You know, period. I'm not going to waste my time. Same as with Ben Affleck, George Clooney, who I've done like seven or eight films with. If you look at all those people, damn, they're all super high-performing, efficient people. And basically, I'm their man, you know, I'm making it happen for them. Can you talk more about that director-AD relationship? What's important to you personally to bring to the collaboration? I am definitely a director's AD. I don't fuck around. I'm not into blowing money. I'm into saving money, into putting it on the screen and doing whatever it takes to, to make the best picture possible. But when it comes down to it, I'm with the director. That's, uh, that's the other thing to remember is that I become really good friends with these people. So it's not like some fly-by-night thing. These are people who we go to war together. We share these amazing life experiences. These are like my brothers and they don't suffer fools, you know? So I read this DGA article about your experience shooting Into the Wild with Sean Penn. All those remote locations, all the challenges you guys faced on that production. How do you approach problem solving and overcoming challenges in order to keep the train moving? Yeah, this, especially if you think about a film like that, that had like 43 production offices. We were everywhere. And with Sean, there's no like, oh yeah, we'll we'll make, you know, the Sierra range look like Alaska or whatever. No, no, no. You go to Alaska, you go for all four seasons, you know, you go to Lake Mead, you go to the exact spot the guy was at, like whatever it is with Sean, he's all about honesty. It has to be honest. And it is, as a result, insanely logistically difficult. 
but I relish that. Now, it flips some people out. You know, we lost like production managers, line producers, all sorts of people couldn't handle it. But I was like super into it, like just into the adventure, into the travel. You know, when we were in Alaska, Sean and I stayed in, the, we had two tents. We lived up in the mountain. And so there's a ton of problems. We had a time when our whole set, a river like a half a mile wide all of a sudden was there one morning in the monsoon. And so, and I think that's one of the things is that on set, like even in the really super hairy moments, I'm like concerned, but I'm always loving it. And the one thing is all those guys, those directors see, they don't see somebody who's afraid. They see this cat's loving it. And I'm loving it, man. This is an adventure. Not scared, not ever intimidated, not at all. I'm very confident in who I am what I like, what I bring to the experience. And each of those guys, if you look at them, they're all mercurial personalities. They fucking appreciate it because they don't want to hang around with some nervous person. We're all winding each other up and loving it. Again, I say I'm very lucky because, you know, I've been blessed to meet super good people who all are passionate. You know, if I ever look good, it's because I choose uh, who I work with well. I think that's a great principle for any up and coming production person to keep in mind, like choose who you want to work with. Yeah. Lead your own life. Be there because, because you want to be. Do you ever say no to your directors? No, we all, here's the thing. We know going in what the deal is. And so there's no need to say no. We've already said yes. Cause we're, we're organized people. We sometimes really switch up, but, you know, we switch up a plan, basically. Uh, we see what the environment is, see what's going on, and then we make our, our switches. There's no need to say no because we've come to an understanding. We're in it together. And the people I work with, if I think what they're suggesting is, I don't know what, like dodgy or unsafe or something, yeah, we'll discuss it. But ultimately, if I've got my guy like George Aguilar, stunt coordinator, with the effects people, it's all people we trust. And if you have somebody like Emma Koskoff around to back you up, there's just no need. Like I'm, I'm just, I, I, I don't know that I actually have the experience of uh, saying no. I mean, that's another theme I'm seeing in this conversation. The film is made in prep. Obviously some things change throughout production, but for the most part, once you get on set, it's just, it's execution. Yeah, and I think by that point, we're just of common mind. But again, you know, all of this depends on having a director who can communicate, producer that is supportive. And, you know, you get it at its absolute peak with Marty and Emma. You have it with George Clooney and Grant Heslov. Uh, I saw it in spades with John Killick and Spike. That yeah. partnership, the producer-director partnership. Yeah, and then, you know, as a co-producer, I'm like, bridging both worlds you know and, and and i guess it's always about finding good people i mean not just competent people but good people that you can trust george would always say like life is too short man you know like he wouldn't tolerate any games like you know that's the other thing you can have sometimes like you know maybe there's a hiring is wrong and you get some people that don't quite fit and there's like some problems George, he just doesn't go for that. He wants it to be one love. He wants everybody, including every background performer, to be respected, to feel that they have a place on his set of importance. 
he really brings that. I think everybody walks away from the film knowing that there has to be respect, you know, and all these guys, they're all super true to their beliefs. They're ethical and they're just super good people. And so everybody is expected to be a good person as well. What is it that you love most about what you do? Well, the sense of camaraderie and friendship of common purpose, you know, and the work, the stress, like all of it. If you're like a high performing, energetic person, I don't know how you're supposed to beat it. It's like getting to go to war, but nobody's firing real bullets. I'm addicted to the, it's like being a heroin addict. The adventure that you're afforded when you get to go to Germany and do Monuments Men with Clooney, you know, Silence with Marty or Istanbul with Ben, I'm not at a desk. I'm at a desk for prep, but it's in Istanbul. You know, it's in Taipei. I don't know how you don't go do Defy Bloods with Spike Lee in Vietnam. It's to me, it's heaven, you know, and I, you get paid. It's incredible. It's an amazing adventure, you know, and I don't know if everybody approaches it like that, but I do. And, and it's great. Well, guys, we've reached the point on the show where we do our Abby Singer moment. The second to last thing we do before we say goodbye David, our guests can share some kind of story or lesson learned, a production joke. Do you have something you'd like to share with us today? Well, the one I was going to say there's one story which I, I love, and I know Marty, he loves talking about this. So when we did Silence, it was an incredible bonding experience. And we went up mountains. Marty was not going to like settle for anything, you know, and Rodrigo and I, Emma, there's no mountain too tall for us. You know, we're, we're there. So there's one day we show up to do the scene where we're going to burn this village down and burn Yosaki's, like his family, going to burn them at the stake. You know, it's a tough scene. There's a bunch of the villagers there, Tamagi villagers. And now there's a typhoon that's being called for. So Emma and I say, okay, we better, let's just go anyway. We have nowhere else to go. Let's just go. And then hopefully it doesn't hit that exact part of the coast, whatever. We arrive in the morning and it's literally rain as sideways it's it's a typhoon it's like super serious and and so we go into marty's trailer and when we go in we literally just shed like a bathtub full of water in his trailer and he's like oh my god this is crazy I said obviously we can't shoot do we have anything else we can do and i'm like no but listen rodrigo and i were just out there and here's the thing if we can shoot the scene in this typhoon it's going to be the most epic fucking scene ever to be shot because it's insane out there, but it's going to be hardcore. I mean, they're, you know, burning people out of stake in this. We should try, man. Who else, who else would do it? No one. And so Marty's like, nah, and I'm like, just think about it, man. It could be like typhoon the whole day and we can get it. He's like, he looks at us, looks at Emma, and then he goes, all right, let's do it. So we go out there, and if you look at the movie, it's rad. Oh my God, and the, the flames and these people, the stunt, the burning, this incredible backdrop of this, not a fake Hollywood storm, but a hardcore, a typhoon. And so what I learned from that is um, go for it, man. Don't be scared, you know? That's amazing. That's what it's all about, man. Make the best movies that you can and, and to do it with the best people that you know, you surround yourself with. Yeah, because otherwise we're wasting our time. We have uh, this precious life and then 
you imagine just, I don't know, if you're like half-assed about it. These are like, to me, important works, you know, like the Milks, Into the Wild, Ides of March, Argo. You might not like them, but they're important. And remember, it all harkens back to my original desire, which was to be a war correspondent, but as well to be a political journalist and to study politics and journalism. You know, it all makes sense when you look at, you know, a life journey or whatever. David, this has been such an awesome conversation. Thanks so much, man. I like can't even digest it all. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Bye, guys. For our bonus segment today, we actually have two topics we're going to cover. First, we're going to talk to David about his perspectives on advancing technologies on set. And then we're going to hear a story about what happens when you cast real mobsters and cops in Scorsese films. To get those bonus segments and more, go check out our website at callsheetshow.com bonus. All our bonus segments on CallSheet are a pay-what-you-can offering. It's not a subscription, just an a la carte model. You can pick whatever topics or stories sound most interesting to you. And it's a way that you, our listeners, can choose to support the continued production of the podcast. You'll get extra stories and insights from our world-class guests to help you become better filmmakers. We really appreciate any contributions you might be able to make. Thanks so much for being a listener, for being part of our CallSheet community, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. And that's Taillights on another episode of Call Sheet. This show is brought to you by Elgin Entertainment. It is produced and hosted by Kiku Terasaki and me, Bryce Sirier, with support from our associate producer, Nathaniel Duber. I'm also the editor of the show, and our outro music is by Robert Mai. Our guest today was David Webb. We talked about the role of First AD and how to get things done to make the best movie possible. Thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode and keep coming back for more. Now, if you'd be so kind, please share the show with a friend or a colleague and take just one minute to leave us a review in whatever podcast app you use. We really appreciate your feedback and support. It helps us grow the show and improve the way that we can serve you. On that note, if you want to suggest a topic that you'd like to hear discussed in a future episode, please send it in. You can email us at callsheetpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at callsheetshow. You should also check out our website for the latest content and news, callsheetshow.com. There are links to all of that and more in this episode's show notes, so be sure to check those out. Remember to stay tuned for new episodes of Call Sheet every Thursday morning, and in the meantime, good luck and go make it happen.